Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I am Mike, joined once again by Price for the fourth of the draft series. This one about the French unicorn, Victor Wembanyama, whom, I don't know, you could, I don't know if even Vegas would let you bet on who is going number one. You could probably bet a million dollars on Victor and make a dollar out of it. Uh, anyway, yeah, first of all, Price, great to have you on the show. It's been, it's been a blast doing these draft episodes with you. Oh, pleasure's all mine. I mean, you know, hopefully this is the last one we got to do for this cycle. <laughs> yeah, that is the hope. I mean, there's always, you know, stuff to consider about, you know, if the Pistons get themselves another first round draft pick, I don't think it's particularly likely, you know, they don't really necessarily have the means to acquire one, I think this year, but uh, that's a different story. Of course, we're back here next week during more draft profiles. Then something has gone tragically wrong. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like, the only other player you can maybe make a case for going number three, you know, the top three that we, well, we've done him too, would be Amen Thompson. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of Cam Whitmore buzz that's, you know, crawling around on online, Reddit, Facebook, Discord, Yahoo, I don't even know. Um, so other than him, I think that's that's pretty much the top four or five. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be shocked if Cam Whitmore went, you know, went number three. And uh, I mean... Yeah, I'd be shocked if that happened. Somebody would have to be really, really high on him. You know, even then, I think a team would just trade down and say, "Here, you take Brandon Miller, and we'll get something out of the bargain, and take Cam Whitmore at number four. Yeah, maybe even us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised if the Pistons traded down from number three, but who knows? Maybe if they find out that Brandon Miller was in fact culpable in somebody being murdered. Yeah, well, of course, then maybe you have a team like Charlotte who think, "Oh yeah, you know, we've, you know, we're totally fine with players of." absolutely horribly questionable ethics and having them on our team because all we care about is winning of course yeah i guess the miles bridges thing is something maybe to talk about in the offseason i think that was just an absolutely shameful decision by the nba but that's an entirely different story we're talking about the draft today all right so let's get to it one week till the lottery it's tuesday night a week from when this episode is recorded uh will be i believe about three two or three hours past knowing where the pistons will pick and I got to be honest, I'll, I'll be satisfied if the Pistons are picking three or higher. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pumped uh, for at one, two, or three, and then four or five. I've rationalized myself into accepting what will be available, but I'll be a little less enthused for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm almost uh, kind of dreading it at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, in any case, uh, let's get to the man, Victor Wimanyama, considered by many to be one of the best prospects to come into the NBA ever. So seven foot three, uh, it's hard to tell whether that's with or without shoes. He says it's without shoes. Of course, Kate Cunningham said he was six seven without shoes, and we know that's not true. Eight foot wingspan, be the longest in the NBA. Uh, I mean, unless you're counting Taco Fall, who I don't think is on a second round, uh, excuse me, on a, on a two-way contract anymore. I don't, I don't think he has any association with the league. You want to talk Mo Bamba from 2018. They talked about his game-changing length. Uh, is two inches at Bombas around seven foot ten. So Victor is longer than that. I didn't know this until today, actually, that Kevin McHale had an eight foot wingspan at six foot ten. Wow. Yeah, pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just going to take a slight ace out here because I love talking about this. Like the bad boys get this particular sort of rap for playing kind of like a highly physical, sometimes actually blatantly dirty style. Nobody remembers, except for people around back then, the Celtics with. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish, all of whom were goons, like super dirty players, and that they walked off the court and didn't shake the Pistons' hands when the Pistons uh, you know, knocked them out the first time, and what would that have been 1987 before they played against, 88 before they played against the Lakers, whatever. And then Kevin McHale went on to be the coach for the Rockets, who just constantly hacked DeAndre Jordan in 2015. It was not fun to watch. Oh, that was also, he was the coach when Andre Drummond took the most free throws in the history of the NBA. The guy loved, uh, loved hacking people. Anyway, keep getting sidetracked here. <laughs> Victor is 220 to 230, about 19 and a half at the time of the draft. Comes out of LMB Pro A League, which is the top league in, and uh, excuse me, in French men's basketball. This is his third year in the league. He's played in the EuroLeague tournament once, didn't do well. Uh, but he started around 16 and a half. That's quite young, uh, about a year before Sekouden Boya started, and then what I believe was the same league. So stats this year, 21 and a half points, 10 rebounds, two and a half assists. One steal, three blocks, two and a half turnovers, about two fouls per game, 58% true shooting. So very, 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 very heralded prospect, uh, the likes of which I think you could argue has never come into the NBA. 
So uh, let's kick it off with just the physical pros here. And, you know, whatever, I can make another joke about not knowing what you're going to say, but I know what you're going to say. Oh, um, you know, to, to the shock of all or to the shock of some, uh, Victor Wembanyama is an absolute freak in terms of his mobility at his size. It is completely without comparison to maybe like any player ever. ever. Um, yeah, just all of the guys who are really tall and athletic are, you know, at least two or three inches shorter than him. Yeah, yeah, his size and and his wingspan, you know, coupled with very good mobility and agility, it's an incredible combination. I mean, the guy is very tall. He's extremely long. He's got crazy stride length. I mean, he's agile enough to, you know, to do good things on the ball, to reposition in the interior. Uh, he uses it expertly, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's defensively, his athleticism is so impressive. Like, we're, we're going to come to the offense first, but just the ability to sort of adapt to his positioning on the floor and on a just a dime at his size, the length to recover, um, the shot blocking, it's all there. Yeah. And of course, being seven foot three ish with an eight foot wingspan makes you a pretty strong rebounder by default. Uh, I would say about his athleticism, he's definitely not an explosive athlete, but at his size, just being, you know, good enough is more than enough. Again, his stride length, you know, really will make up for the lack of an explosive first step. I mean, just his ability to get up to speed and to get to the basket fast and to reposition fast. His lateral movement is okay. I mean, if you get past him, he's just going to block you anyway. So, yeah, very, very, very impressive, especially in the context of what we are going to talk about very soon in terms of what he can do. Uh, the cons, I would say, let's talk about injuries later in the episode. Um, you know, that's the, that I think is the, is the major concern for many. It would be the, the major concern for me. Another one is weight. So some players... Uh, you know, Victor is again about seven foot three, between two twenty and two thirty. He's still pretty slight, and not everybody can gain weight. Uh, you know, it's, it's a question of how much weight he'll be able to gain. Like Giannis was able to gain a ton; he was able to pack on just a ton of muscle. Um, but it really just depends on the player where you're ceiling in that aspect is going to be. And if he stays around this weight, it'll be exploited to a degree. Could also lessen his short life, his shelf life. Yeah, exactly. This is the kind of the Chet Holmgren. Um sort of discussion being mm-hmm. replayed again for this year. Um, for those who don't remember or didn't weren't following, Chet Holmgren uh, drafted by Oklahoma City Thunder, um, second overall, didn't play this year due to injury, not necessarily re- related to his size, but um, that's like a concern. and A huge concern, yeah. Yeah, and he's very, very slight of frame, even more so than Victor Wambanyama. He's a couple inches shorter, a couple inches less long, but nonetheless, he's a an example of this body type that has recently been drafted, and historically, this body type has seen a lot of injuries, and that's sort of the big concern, is how will Victor be able to handle the NBA workload and NBA stress at yeah. his size and his length? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And like I said, we'll get to this a little bit later in the episode. Uh, yeah. Chet is a skeleton, like an extreme ectomorph. And there are some players who just come into the league and they can eat and train all they want and just cannot put on the weight. I mean, everybody is ultimately at the mercy of their genetics. So uh, let's move on to offense. And there's a lot to say here. There's a lot to say in the pro sections on oh both God. sides and on both sides of the floor. So this is going to take a little bit, you know, take a little while if you get to listen to yeah. it why this guy is, is just such an incredible prospect, uh, you know, the likes of which in, in terms of this particular skill set, again, has never been seen in the NBA before. So everything we say here should be contextualized by at his size, at yeah. seven foot three. Yeah. At his size, which he uses expertly. And I, I think just to throw an umbrella statement over it is at his size, with his mobility, with his agility, just his sheer versatility on offense, all the things he can do. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous the um, flexibility that he has as both um, he can do a lot of the stuff that a traditional big does where, you know, if you want to get him down low and let him, you know, catch catch dunks or lobs or stuff like that, he can do that. But that's just the very, very tail end of his offensive capability. On the ball, this this is a tremendous player. 
He's got great handle for his size, um, good security, um, even though obviously with such a high dribble, he'll definitely be targeted mm-hmm. um, by by the players even in, in his league. Like he's playing in a men's league as, as a teenager. It's yeah. also very important to remember that. Um, and then you have the feel, the ability to gain separation. Um, again, not a super explosive athlete, but that that's not really relevant when you're taking such big strides and being able to relocate, being yeah. able to um, find the soft spots of the defense. And once he gains even just a little bit of room, his, his threat to be a absolute nightmare of a pull-up shooter is, is completely game-changing because I don't even know who's going to be able to block him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what I come back to, well, not what I come back to, I mean, just to sum up, like, yeah, there's the shooting potential is there, the attacking off the dribble is there. Yep. I mean, I could go down the list here. You know, yep. finishing face-up game floaters, pick and roll, uh, exploiting mismatches. But, yeah, yep. we'll stick to, like, like what I'd start with, attacking off the dribble. Yep. Like, we mentioned his stride length. We mentioned his agility. He's got great touch. He can attack in isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a smaller guy switched on to him, they're finished. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to come help and he might be able to just score over them. And and you mentioned the shooting potential. Like he's got, yeah, he's got major upside. You know, we've seen it as an off the dribble shooter on pull-ups. He can do it in the post from the post. He can do it, you know, while facing up yep. and, and his shot is unblockable. His height plus the high release point. And when you've got a guy who's seven foot four, who can either attack you off the dribble and beat you to the basket or just pull up and shoot over you. I mean, there aren't a lot of good options. For, for trying to stop him, you know, at least on a one-on-one basis, it's it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to keep him from getting what he wants or getting something that he can score at least. Right. And then, of course, that's just what he can do on the ball. He also is, I think, a threat to be an off-ball shooter. And to if we get him on motion, he's skilled enough to be able to make some of those shots. And yeah. if if he is a reliable motion shooter, then it's it's like good night because that's that's a that's a mismatch with an elite shooter even if they're a foot shorter than he is um but he's seven foot three or above (laughs) it's just that's that is not not only is it going to be simply unguardable just because if if he gets elevated it's good good luck you know getting even a hint of a contest but if he's already got space into one of his comfort zone spots like boom it's over yeah if, if you guys mm. haven't haven't already watched the highlights from the game that his team played against the julie ignite it was a julie preseason game and i mean he shot extremely well from three in that game and you know his percentage overall on the year wasn't you know quite as good of course you know to say the least he was in the low 30s on, on a difficult shot diet but you see his ability to relocate around the perimeter at his size, set his feet quickly, and then shoot. Saw some step back potential there. And I mean, you're barely going to be blocking a Victor three regardless. Yeah. But, but a step back three, of course. You know, that's it's just another thing in his tool set. I mean, he's mobile. He's, he's absolutely got potential as a motion shooter on and off the ball. And again, we're talking about a guy who's seven foot three. I mean, I need, need to continue coming back to that. You know, he's got the mobility, the agility, mm-hmm. and he's got the size. Yep. Yeah, as an off-ball player, uh, for sure, I mean, could be an elite role man. Like, you know, he can pop, of course. You know, send him around the screen to shoot the ball. You know, as a role man, you're always going to be able to get this guy the ball. I mean, you're never going to have to worry about that. He's like, he's an amazing vertical spacer. He barely even has to jump. And again, he's just got great touch on the way to the rim. You get him the ball in an advantageous position. His touch is amazing. His size is great. He's going to score. And if he's, you know, if you can just get him the ball near the rim, period, which you're going to have no trouble doing, He's going to score it. It's just that combination of size and touch. Yep. And if he needs to spin around somebody, then he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even I'd say, I'd argue, even has some upside potentially as a handler in the pick and roll, which would be a complete and utter absolute nightmare for anybody trying to stop that <laughs> with Victor coming around a pick set by a big. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the type of player that we're talking about. He can play not just as a five because of his size, he can play down the lineup. He mm-hmm. can be that sort of next evolution or freak aberration, whatever you want to call it, of that jumbo wing. This is like the the jumboest of jumbo wings, where it's like, oh, what do we even do 
to to guard this this person at this this size with this amount of skill with this amount of basketball smarts he's also a really smart player yeah that's that's the real x factor he's not just a physical freak he's also can use all of the physical tools he's been gifted yeah. that's why he's this one of one mm-hmm. among yeah. one of ones <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned his handle, which, you know, it's not like an elite handle, but again, at his size, it's absolutely amazing. Gives him enough to just, just another way for him to exploit what he's given, what he's been given in terms of his basketball, you know, it is his basketball ability and his size can run the floor well in transition. And again, I'll, I'll go back to the post. I mean, of course, that's a tough thing to make efficient in the NBA, but I mean, you find a mismatch for Victor, you know, you're, I mean, this mismatch is screwed. You might have somebody who's like six foot three on him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then you're then you're in trouble. I, I don't remember if this was last episode or the episode before when I was talking about Nate Robinson getting posted up on by Sean Livingston, you know, who had about eight, probably about eight inches on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than that, actually, I think about 10 inches. I mean, you could genuinely see a mismatch like that, like probably on a, on a semi-regular basis with Victor when he matches up with somebody who was like six four, six five. Which yeah, is hopefully it's crazy. in practice with Jay and Ivy. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope so, for sure. But, you know, if we continue to go on down the list here, which we, we could talk about this, and I feel like we could talk about this for an hour and not properly do justice just how much potential he has on the offensive end. Yeah. I don't feel like we're properly doing him justice. I mean, we're gushing about this guy, but it's, it's just tough to, like, go watch him play. Like, watch Victor play. Go look at highlights. It's tough to capture just how much this guy has. But, you know, if we're going to talk about it a little bit more, his hands are great. Awesome at catching the ball. This guy does yep. not drop many passes. And, like, the offensive rebounding goes without saying is there. I mean, again, when you're 7'3", and you've got a seven, you've got an 8-foot wingspan, it's going to be helpful. And think like Boban, for those of you who had the misfortune, whatever, of watching during those years. Like Boban, who barely even needed to jump to get the ball or to dunk. And... I'd say Victor is a little bit taller than Boban. Of course, about like a million times more mobile. So uh, right. basically, yeah, what it is, I mean, you, you take this guy and all that he has to offer. I mean, if he gets it together, he's on guard. Yeah, like a complete and utter mismatch pretty much at every possible scenario with his skill size combo. It's yeah, just isn't isn't necessarily possible for um even the complete aberration elite 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 athletes that we have in the NBA to guard. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, assuming that this pull-up jump shooting comes along in particular. Right. right. Yeah. So, but I mean, you think about the situations you can put him in and there's at this point again if he reaches his upside, there's basically going to be nothing he's not good at. It's like even if you toss him off the ball, I mean, you've got so many, in addition to what he can do on the ball, I mean, I know I'm moving back, but you got to worry about everything he can do off the ball between, you know, vertical spacing, running as the role man, you know, even just as a spot up shooter, like if, if, if he's shooting a good percentage on catch and shoots, I mean, you got to close out on him. And if you close out on him and you're finished, I mean, he can, he's kind of like Giannis in this respect. I mean, he can get to the basket real fast. And if he gets up ahead of steam, you're pretty much screwed. Maybe you try to take a charge, but there are going to be very, very few guys, very few, even elite rim protectors in the NBA who can do much to stop him especially given, you know, given the touch he has. So again, I know that we could talk about this for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm basically to the, the end of my list of pros, very extensive list of pros. You got anything to add? Um, I mean, he can play above the rim and he can shoot, shoot the lights out from distance. What I, and if, he yeah. can, it's not there yet, not there yet, but the, the shooting form and we'll get to this looks good enough that, that you'll, that you feel confident in, in the shot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty confident in the shot as well. Yeah. And oh yeah, this is what I was going to say when you were talking about him playing down the lineup. Did you know that Giannis, when he came into the league in his first year played primarily at shooting guard? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And then, yeah. And then he played gradually up the line, you know, he made his way up to small forward as he added weight and then ultimately landed a power forward. Yep. But, uh, but yeah. And Giannis, when he came into the league, was about six foot nine. He's about six, 11 and a half or something like that. He gained two and a half inches. That's rare, of course. Yep. That's very, very rare. But uh, just interesting to think back to. All right. So, cons. Oh, I'll get us started here. We just mentioned it. The shot isn't there quite yet. Correct. Yeah. He was in the low 30s in terms of uh, overall three point percentage. And, you know, of, of course, you know, he'd still be a great player if he wasn't like a. a a really good three-point shooter. I think he'll get there. He's another one of those guys like we 
we talked the contrast between Scoot and the Thompson twins, or with Scoot, it's like, you know, mediocre, you know, pretty relatively poor percentage, around 33%, but good form. Whereas with Amen and Asar, it was bad percentage with hideous form. I feel like Victor's got good form. Yeah. And of course, um, his looks are just going to naturally be easier than anyone else's on the court. <laughs> just, it will be easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's kind of a cheat code. And that is definitely the biggest sort of con at the moment, which is that you don't see the consistent deep range shot, but the form looks good. It's like, I think eight, north of 85% um, as a free throw shooter this season. Not not always, you know, direct one-to-one indicator, but um, with at least set shots in the NBA, they tend to function a lot like a free throw. So if he can do that well and the form looks good there, hopefully that can translate out to distance, at least to an extent, and he can get up to a respectable number on three-point attempts, and then he can literally play anywhere you want on offense, inside out, outside in, just mm-hmm. play and just watch watch the magic happen. Yeah. I know what I forgot at the end of the episode to share shooting splits. Well, not share them. Anybody can go look them up, but to yeah. state his shooting splits. 47% in the field, uh, but shot about seven, excuse me, about what about over two thirds of the shots from two point range, only 30% from three. Again, difficult shot diet. Yep. So yeah, the shooting isn't quite there yet. I think it'll get there. Uh, another con, so he loves these pull-up jump shots, and the hope is that he'll be able to make those efficient in the NBA. It, there's no guarantee. I mean, you can really put all the time you want into those in these lower leagues when you get to the NBA. I mean, the NBA is, is tremendously more efficiency-obsessed than any other league in the world. I mean, the, the margins are very, very thin. Everybody's in on it, so you can't choose to not play that game in terms of efficiency. Stan Van Gundy decided he was going to try to not play that game. Of course, it didn't work too well for him. He refused to coach shot selection, for example, which was an act of insanity in the efficiency of spacing era. So he can resort to these pull-up jumpers instead of driving into the interior and using that size of his at times. He can resort to those. And there's not necessarily a guarantee that those will work in the NBA. I mean, if he's shooting like low to mid-40s on them and he's taking a lot of them, that's a bad shot. So, yeah. uh, you know, might find himself needing to kind of pick his battles with those and, and drive in a little bit more. And... He's going to need more bulk also in order to do that banging down blow against NBA caliber opposition Definitely. to take advantage of that crazy frame of his. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, finally, I'd say his handle might not translate quite so well to the NBA. It'll be good enough. But if he tries to get too cute, I mean, again, you mentioned he has a high dribble. Uh, it, the ball's going to get swiped a lot if he tries to get too cute. He's not going to be able to do some of the things he did in uh, in the French League. Just, right. yeah, he'll be punished. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it where it's like we can't, necessarily anoint him anoint him in the way that we would maybe like to given how bullishly we're speaking because Mm -hmm. there's still some growth areas he still has room to improve and rounding out his game because again almost not almost every teenager on the planet has room to improve might be earth-shattering news but shocking shocking and he has to do that, do just the same with his basketball game and the conditioning. Can he be able to withstand the workload? Mm-hmm. Now, he did play 40 games without injury. Can he, he do the 82 or get to the 70s or something like that without taking serious injury concerns at his rather slight frame? Also, you wonder how much is he really going to be able to draw a lot of that contact down low that's so crucial for for free throw gathering if he's constantly being pushed off of a point of attack given his his relatively weak frame. Yeah. These are like nuances. That's what I want to say is that they're, they're very nuanced critiques, but when you have a guy who has this level of potential, you literally have to get down to this this nitty gritty to find areas of improvement. Yeah. I mean, I could be clear, like even if he never gets the shooting together at all, I mean, he could still be an elite player in the league. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. He just would not be quite as good as, as he could be. Otherwise would not be quite as unstoppable. I'm not as concerned about him getting pushed off on the, you know, as a point of attack guy, as long as he's built up ahead of steam, but 
if he's in the post, yeah. I mean, he's not going to be able to bully guys like he did in the French League unless he put on, you know, puts on quite a bit of weight. Yep. So uh, one last thing is the passing. Not the greatest passer. Does not have great awareness of when he needs to pass. If a double team gets thrown at him, he is not the quickest to identify what he should do. That'll be a bigger issue for him in the NBA with mm-hmm. much longer defenders, much faster defenders. And realistically, mm-hmm. one of the only ways you're going to be able to slow this guy down is by throwing double teams at him You know, when he's posted up down low, when he faces up down low. It's going to happen a lot. So that passing would be kind of a big deal if that didn't come along. Yeah, I think if you're trying to make him a primary option, that that's something you want. Or at least even a, a high-usage secondary option guy, that's something you want. But he's going to score a ton of points no matter what, really. It's just, is it going to be where he is dictating the offense, where he is really being the stir, the straw that stirs the drink of an offensive system? That That isn't necessarily in the cards yet, although he's definitely a guy you build into wherever and he will be successful. But he's not to the point where you can just let him feast off of double teams and really make teams pay by closing out on him super hard or trying to bring the extra man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, these, these are really, these qualities are the differences. I mean, as long as the shooting, well, even if the shooting doesn't come along. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's, you know, probable, like very good second option. And as we're about to talk about fantastic defender, I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't think that that his floor is any less than like all defensive guy on a, on a perennial basis. And again, I mean, it comes back down to the same, you know, the same thing, you know, crazy combination of height, length, agility and instincts. I mean, he's got the size and the wingspan and he imposes his will yep. upon the opposition. And he just uses that, uh, you know, uses that height, uses that length expertly, expertly to cause major problems for anybody who plays against he actually enjoys playing defense too. Like it's pretty obvious watching him that he really loves that end of, of the court. And that's kind of all, all you need, right? With uh, his combination of attributes to be at least good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's, as you said, real potential for him to just be an absolute force, all perennial, all NBA, second, first team kind of guy. Maybe even a deep boy or two. I don't. I I can't put a cap on this kid. Like there, there isn't mm-hmm. a, a cap, if you will. It's just yeah. it's the the floor is just especially on defense so obscenely high that he's going to be a a long long term star starting player. Yeah. Occasionally, somebody comes along who can really just is a game changing interior defender, and it's not that he's only good on the interior, but and I'm not making this comparison both because they are from the country of France. I'm just like, if you're thinking in terms of guys who just fundamentally alter offenses, you know, as defenders, who like a Gobert, who, you know, he's, he's caught a lot of flack lately and he definitely wasn't worth like five first round picks. That was still a horrible trade. And he's on a bad contract because well, basically with Gobert, I mean, he is a game changing, like absolutely game changing interior defender. One of the greatest interior defenders of all time as a drop defender. He, you know, alter shots, block shots, stop shots from even being attempted. You can find, you know, a lot of, I mean, there are clips. One of my favorites was when he was playing against the Spurs a couple of years ago. And there were like three different opportunities in the same possession in which players just drove at him and then just gave up, turn around, and they're like, this is not happening and pass the ball. So, you know, Victor's that kind of guy. And uh, I think he could, uh, just like Giannis, maybe even better, be one of these, one of the greatest roving interior help defenders of all time. I, yeah, there isn't um, ultimately a, a ceiling on him in terms of his ability to be a help side defender. It's He can move around so fluidly on defense. He can adjust to different looks teams throw at, at, the, at him or at his team. He can kind of figure out where to, where to gamble, where the pass is coming, and with his length, it's pretty easy for him to jump jump the lane and um you know get that transition game going and while he's not quite the athletic open court specimen like a Giannis mm-hmm. type is he he's still going to be able to really affect offenses and get transition going just due to the length due to forcing 
bad shots, bad looks, bad passes. Blocks. Blocks. Oh, of course. I mean, he's going to have tons of highlight reel blocks in his career. And this is, again, if none of the offensive critiques we have come together, this is the floor we're getting. We're getting Mm -hmm. a fantastic defensive prospect on top of the offensive uh, uh, game that he already has. It's Mm -hmm. just... I, I don't really know. It's it's kind of kind of wild to even be talking about a guy with this. I'm I feel like I'm talking about like Rudy Gobert, but as like a 19 year old. Yeah, and much more mobile. I mean, yeah. where Go where Gobert goes bad in the playoffs is where teams will just deliberately exploit him by bringing him out to the perimeter, whether that's with a stretch center or by just playing a much smaller player against him. Yep. Like they played Batum at center, I believe that was back in 2021. And when you drag Rudy out to the perimeter, he loses a lot of his utility because he goes from being like an unbelievably good. And again, I think Gobert gets underappreciated in this respect. I mean, he is a brilliant interior defender, like one of the greatest ever. Uh, But when you bring him out to the perimeter, uh, he's like an average switch defender. So he goes from absolutely game changing to just kind of pedestrian. And also he's not in the interior to affect shots. Mm -hmm. Now, Victor, yeah, Victor is less of, Less of like the the drop defender that Rudy is. Yeah, uh, he's more of kind of a roaming guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, he's useful in all situations. He doesn't have that weakness that Rudy does of just losing a lot. Uh, you know, similar to Giannis. Giannis is just an, an interior guy, like an interior help defender who doesn't really he doesn't lose anything at all if you force him to switch. Nobody even bothers to try. So I think he'll be more similar to Giannis in that respect, just in a roaming interior help defender who, again, yeah, his instincts are great. His ability to reposition is great. It's just that massive stride length and his lateral mobility. And his knowledge of where to be and how to use that length is going to make him like a nightmare for players are always going to have to be thinking about where he is. Yep. Kind of like that free safety Ed Reed type. um, uh, If he's like an NFL comparison where it's just, he's always a threat even when he's not near the actual play. And in fact, that's when he's most of the time going to be the biggest threat because he's going to come around and he's going to force the issue. Yeah. I mean, it, it just can't. Again, I feel like we're not properly doing him justice here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, his ability to come out of nowhere and just to stop a player from even trying to attempt a shot or, or to alter a shot or to swat a shot mm-hmm. is, is really something else. I mean, just insane help side defense, you know, defensive potential in general and at the rim. Yeah. And, and, and just crazy good shot blocker head on. And help side, even on jump shots, like he's he's just great at parlaying that length into into contesting shots. I mean, this guy's just going to block a lot of jumpers, including a lot of threes. Uh, absolutely, he he's going to send some threes into the crowd for sure. Yeah, and you know, in terms of overall rim protection, like even head on, just as primary rim protector, I think he'll do well. I mean, it's it's a different story when he's going to be forced to bang down low if he doesn't put on some weight. But yeah, uh, no switchability concerns. Nope. Like yeah, even if you get past him as a fast guard, he's going to recover. That stride length is going to take him close to the basket, and he's going to swat you from behind. Like again, go look, go watch Scoot play against this guy in that G League, in that Ignite game, in that preseason game. And of course, Scoot's going to improve, but you'll get yeah. an idea of how well Victor can recover. Right, because Scoot, Scoot himself, as we covered last week, also quite the athletic specimen, spectacular um, athlete. Yeah, just with a very different body type. Um, and it's, it's just kind of unfair to expect Scoot to have, um, a ton of success going up a guy who has literally over a foot without shoes in uh, height on him. It's just, I mean, you, with that, uh, length and athleticism combo, I mean, he's going to be able to switch just fine. The lateral mobility is good, um, to even great at his size and, just there there isn't really a lot of holes and no. that this is the area i feel the most confident on him as an elite defensive prospect yeah he's he's also he's what i would call a i mean like whatever you can say i coined this term I, I, whatever I'm, I'm trying to make fun of myself here because i don't actually feel good about myself for coining this term but really <laughs> a very 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 low variance defender whereas mm. you know it doesn't matter the scheme or what the offense is doing he's not like his value is going to fluctuate very little. He's going to be extremely valuable in, in all yeah. situations. So except guarding yeah. like Jokic and Embiid down. Yeah. Low, and yeah, no but, one can do that. 
No one can do that. And I think we'll talk, you know, when we talk about his fit, we'll talk about his ideal position. I'm not convinced at this point that he's going to necessarily be playing a ton of center. So he might not find himself in that position, you know, all, right. all too often. And uh, yeah, it's it's just like he's really something else. And of course, the defensive rebounding is is there. Yep. That is useful. I know we've been kind Absolutely. of traumatized by Drummond, you know, thinking, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, defensive rebounding, his numbers were inflated and he wasn't actually a good defender, except when he tried, which was rare. Uh, but oh yeah, pick and roll. Like imagine this guy shutting down, you know, just defending against the pick and roll. Like there is going to be really no good way to run a pick and roll against Victor Wembanyama because, yep. you know, like if he stays on the center, good luck getting the center of the ball. Mm-hmm. And if he's forced to switch onto the guard, good luck finding a good shot at the rim. Exactly. Like that's this is the prototypical pick and roll defender, um, sort of mold that we've seen really have tremendous impact in uh all areas of of the defense because the pick and roll is one of your primary actions that playoff teams run to get mismatches um out of set offenses and Mm -hmm. if you can be an effective pick and roll defender then in the nba then you are going to alter big important games big important possessions um on a routine basis for years and years and years to come and that's sort of what we're looking at is a guy who who you can't that he is going to play a ton of minutes in the most important of minutes pretty much as soon as he steps on the court you yeah. don't you actually want him to be a playmaker even on defense mm-hmm. that's that that is why he is at this absolute like olympic or or a Mount Rushmore tier prospect where it's like 19-year-olds just, or anybody ever, just doesn't look this way, doesn't have this type of floor, let alone this type of ceiling. Yeah. And one thing, final thing I think we should touch on is the isolation defense. Like you you can't ISO this guy and take a jump shot because he's just going to block it. Yep. You try to ISO him, you might get past him. And again, he's just going to swat you when you're about to get to the rim because he's going to recover. And, you know, no matter, you have to be real, real shifty. I'd say more like lucky. You're going to have to guess right uh, to keep from, uh, you know, this huge guy with a gigantic wingspan who's not far behind you and is great at blocking shots from just swatting it before it gets to the backboard. Yep. So ISO is, is no threat to him either. So, yeah, amazing potential there. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know how Detroit fans love defense. I mean, you definitely get it in spades from Victor. Absolutely. I think we've talked about his kind his primary count on defense. Just he could get bullied on on defense by some guys uh, who are you mentioned a couple of them, Jokic and Embiid, but there are others as well. I mean, there there are some beefy dudes in the NBA. Of course, the the era of the the huge slow guys is long since over. But there are some strong dudes who you know who will go to work on him, uh, yep. Davis and others. And you know that that's a weakness. I mean, he's gonna be great just by keeping his arm up. Yeah. Again, just the ability, or sorry, the fact that he has the longest reach in the NBA um, is going to make it so that way he can recover um, against the bigger boys, but it is going to be, he's not going to excel quite so much if he's going to be a primary drop guy against centers. And to be honest, I don't think teams are really going to even scheme for him to be there. They're going to want him to be that roving help side guy who can occasionally switch out to the perimeter and occasionally switch down low and just be a problem all over the court. Yeah. I mean, this takes us to our next question and move on to fit here. And Mm -hmm. I don't don't think either of us really have any concerns and even the slightest bit about his ability to slot in with the Pistons. I don't think any team has has any concerns about their ability to slot in. So let's talk, what would his ideal position with the Pistons be? And I think this is a guy, you know, we basically just talked about it. Who's going to be most ideal at power forward. I mean, you can still run him. Uh, you can still run him as a pick and roll guy on offense. I mean, it's it's going to hurt spacing a little bit, but I don't think anybody that doesn't really matter when you have a player like uh, like Victor. If you have a traditional center next to him, if he's playing next to say Jalen Duran, but yeah, it's going to be more on defense that you want him as that roaming guy. But against lineups where you're in, where the opposition is going small is not, or is just in general is not throwing one of those bigger guys at you. Then maybe in that situation, you know, you give him some minutes at center as well. The fit with the Pistons is, for me, phenomenal. Um, I'm sure uh, fans of the other 29 uh, 
teams in the NBA would agree as well. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great fit with the Pistons. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. He he fits everywhere. He completely transforms what other franchise uh, gets his talents. And yeah. we we have Jalen Dern, I think, could be a really good combo for him because mm-hmm. that's Jalen Dern's bread and butter is getting down low and, you know, hopefully banging with some big boys um, down there. It's just he's got a he's got some work to do um, as a drop defender um yet but the the outline of that makes sense at least and then of course you have Caden Ivey we still need to of course see the progression in Caden Ivey into those true on-ball um guard creator types that really conduct an offense at a high high level in the playoffs of course um and but you think about that with Victor oh boy that could be really, really fun in terms of the amount of mismatches that um, are able to be generated for the three of them kind of working in tandem off each other, especially if Cade and Ivy continue to improve as shooters. If Victor improves as a shooter, then you're looking at a well-rounded offense that can pretty much do as it wills with um, whatever the defense throws at them. Yeah. I mean, it's part of me is like it's almost pointless talking about fit. I mean, number one, we know we know he fits. Number two, I mean, there's not a single team that's not going to pick him number one. Again, I wonder what odds Vegas is even throwing on this. I mean, we had this dude who this was back in I think the first season of the Durant era Warriors put up like fifty thousand dollars that the Warriors are going to make the playoffs and won like five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's kind of you know why'd you even bother? Right. You know, of course, Vegas's odds on this are everybody gets injured. You know, which uh, is like a one in a hundred chance. So you win five hundred dollars off your fifty k. Yeah, I wonder what kind of odds they would even put on this of a team of him not being drafted number one. I I don't think that I'd be surprised if they're even taking bets or meaningful bets that don't have you put in a significantly larger amount of money than that and get less out of it. So exactly. Yeah. So Fitz gonna be good no matter where he goes. If he goes to the Pistons, Fitz gonna be good. Yeah. Yep. So. Let's talk comp. This one's hard. We just spent a while talking about how there's not been another player who's who's coming to the league who can do this sort of thing. Like you think about like a combination of Porzingis and Gobert with better mobility, like Giannis who can shoot, and these aren't perfect comparisons, and Giannis has some strengths that Victor Wembanyama does not. The opposite is certainly true too. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really hard to make that comparison. I don't right. think it's necessary either. I, I don't think it. Well, that's yeah. that's the idea. He's a unicorn. You know? Yeah, he, he's he's the unicorn. He's a a my player character given given flesh. It's just not not a, there isn't a, a real good comparable. We we just talk about tiers of of prospects, and he's in at least in my mind. He's above the Anthony Davis tier. He's in the. Le- Bron tier of prospect where it's kind of about how great he is going to do in the NBA rather than his actual development. It's just, does his development lead to a really good player or does it lead to an all-time great or somewhere in between? Yeah, and I think this is a good place for us to transition to floor. And that's a good place, really a place for us to talk about injuries. Injuries are... You know, concern I definitely have about Victor. I'm sure plenty of teams have concerns about injuries with Victor. I also am equally sure that none of those concerns would ever cause any of them to draft him at lower than number one. So uh, this combination of excellent size with great mobility is extremely difficult on the lower body, unless you're Giannis, who just has the absolute, just ridiculously perfect biomechanics that prevent him from having that issue. Like Giannis is in, uh, I mean, we want to talk about unicorns, whatever. I mean, Giannis has that combination of great size, great length, great mobility, and he doesn't get any injuries or, as a result just because of how his, again, just the biomechanics. I could talk about Giannis's biomechanics for some time. Basically, nobody else is Giannis in this capacity. So, you know, we've had some examples of this, certainly. Porzingis is one of those. You know, Porzingis, who, who had great mobility. And, you know, with, uh, with Dallas, for example, and even at his time in New York City, excuse me, in New York City, with the Knicks, he was in New York City, had, uh, I mean, he was able to play center. It did a great job of it. And then he had that injury in the 2020 playoffs in the bubble, and he lost some mobility. And if you lose like 10, 20% of mobility in the NBA, I mean, the margins are so small yep. that that really hurt his game uh, because he yep. can no longer defend effectively at center. Yeah. But if you're thinking like, 
Victor could lose, miss a lot of games. He could have a relatively short career. He could just, you know, gradually lose uh, the mobility that is really necessary, even for him. So again, that's a concern, and I think it, I think it's likely to happen. Uh, I, I mean, players are going to get hurt, kind of regardless. It's just how good are they going to be at recovering from it? I mean, mm-hmm. that that's part of what makes the greats the greats that they played a lot, they mm-hmm. played a ton. LeBron is LeBron because he basically played through every injury ever. And, you know, that's another marvel of LeBron. And, you know, same thing with Kobe up until the Achilles injury, just Mm -hmm. played an absolute ton in order to really kind of demonstrate their, their greatness. And, you know, we have examples of players all through basketball history who, for one reason or another, got hurt and we never really saw them get back to that point. Przingis being one of them, where Przingis had a real chance to be this type of unicorn. It's just that he had bad injury luck. and uh, I wouldn't call it luck. <laughs> I'd call it the result of being that tall, that long, and that mobile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Porzingis was a really good... I mean, Porzingis didn't, didn't have the ceiling of a woman. You know, he didn't have quite that skill set. But, I mean, Porzingis was, was a great player when he, he was able to stay healthy. And you get injured so many times, you lose a step. I mean, it happens to almost everybody. You get injured enough times, you just lose a step. So, yeah, it's it, it's always going to be a concern with Victor. I mean, th- that body type is very difficult on the feet, the ankles, and the knees. Mm-hmm. Upper body really isn't so much of a big deal, you know, for obvious reasons. But it's very hard in the lower body. Again, we're talking about this entirely theoretical. You know, I, I think that, I mean, we've we've got a long history of players like this having these issues. They make perfect sense. At the same time, I mean... Not going to stop anybody from drafting him number first overall. No. Yeah. No. It, it's uh, in the sort of opposite direction. The the concerns with Zion were also very prevalent. Didn't oh, yeah. stop anybody from taking Zion. Uh, no, it did not. I mean, in Zion, <laughs> poor Pelicans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is. I don't know if this is something I've talked about before in this podcast, but it's like it's a sort of similar situation where it was just more Zion's an extreme case because it's his combination of bulk, strength, explosiveness, and agility, plus his, you know, plus his touch, of course, and just his skill. But that is the physical combination that makes him what he is. It's also the physical combination that is extremely difficult in his body. And I feel like even if Zion had done everything right in terms of staying in tippy-top shape and at the lowest weight he could reasonably be at, have been at, he would have really started to run out by age 30. And uh, he has done far from the best job he could have. And who knows what's going to happen as a result. Correct. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, it's not an uh, A to B, one-to-one relationship, but the the sort of similarities ring true here, where how um, is he going to be able to cope with the stresses that are going to be placed upon him? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's it's an 82-game NBA season against yeah. a bet, you know, some of the best athletes on the planet. And if he can't put on that bulk also, you know, that's going to lessen his durability also. Correct. Just a greater shock to the body. I mean, that's a concern with Chet, too. I mean, Chet's had major injury concerns about Chet, like significantly greater. I mean, well, it's already happened. Yeah. Significantly greater than I had with, uh, than, you know, than I have with, with Victor. And my concerns with Victor are pretty significant. I'd place... Victor lower on the injury risk scale than Chet and Porzingis just because of how he moves, but still pretty high. So, you know, that's, so, I mean, I would say with floor, I mean, that that's something that would affect his long-term floor. Of course, I'd say his floor in general is, you know, is fantastic, you know, on the court floor is, is fantastic defender yep. and still like very high caliber scorer, even if he can't shoot. So like all-star floor is how I would put it, unless he's like constantly unhealthy. Right. So, and ceiling, I'd say would be one of the greatest of all time. Yep. You know, if, if you know, if he reaches that potential, he's gonna be a largely unstoppable scorer and a fantastic defender. I mean, this is a, this is an entirely game changing player. Would he have the durability to like reach all time great status? I mean, that that's that's a different story because longevity plays a big role in that as well. But yeah, the ceiling's there. The the ceiling for him to become that sort of kind of franchise figurehead, this is who we write stories about years and decades later getting the chance to, oh, I remember when I watched him play, that's sort of the type of talent that we have on our hands. And so it's going to be really special no matter where he ends up. I just hope it's with the Pistons. 
Yeah, it, it could be incredibly annoying if you're a fan of, an, uh, of of the opposite team because if he gets everything together, he's going to be almost entirely unstoppable. And players who are almost entirely unstoppable are really annoying to watch a team play against. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and on to draft board. I mean, goodness, this is a really great question that <laughs> nobody knows the answer. You know, that's oh, not like man. everybody who's listening to this knows the answer to it. So number one, everybody be shocked if Victor doesn't go number one on draft night. I mean, it's, it's just going to happen. It's the same thing as it was with Zion, same thing as it was with LeBron, same thing as it was with a lot of players, Anthony Davis. There's just some guys you know are going to go number one, and there's nothing that's going to change that. So Now, does that mean Weaver is going to say any different and be like, we're going to vet it out, and you know, <laughs> that, that type of thing he, he usually says? I fully expect that. But if we get number one, um, we being the Pistons, of course, um, he's going number one. <laughs> well, nobody's gonna. Nobody's really even gonna take it seriously. It's like you're not no. trading this pick. Sorry, yeah. it's just not yeah, gonna happen. No. Yeah, no. A, a team that is in there's like one piece away from the championship and then happened to win the lottery would not no. trade this pick for anything. I would imagine. No. Yeah. All right. So I think we're reaching close to the end here. Uh, any closing mm-hmm. thoughts? Uh, I am excited and terrified about what <laughs> is going to happen in a week from now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, the 2021 lottery was the most nervous I have maybe ever felt in my adult life. Like yep. I deal with a lot of anxiety. I don't deal with like actual like acute distressing anxiety of that sort. Like I was like, oh, man, like an, an adrenal overload, shaking when the Pistons <laughs> got the number one overall pick. Yeah, and it wasn't quite so bad last year. Uh, and I don't know how it's probably somewhere in between this year. What What uh, are the vibes? Are Are the vibes? Do you feel the one again? Uh, I would like to say it because last time, yeah, of course, like, you know, uh, definitely me saying they were going to get number one, you know, had everything to do with it. No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I said, I thought the Pistons were going to get number two last year. Universe doesn't give a shit what I think. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thinking the Pistons will end up number two and number three. And it's kind of like one of those funny instances. Well, I would say, you know, yeah, number three frees you of fear of missing out if you decide to pass on Scoot. But um, I'm thinking, I don't know if I had to. Whatever, I'll just say that I think the Pistons are going to get number one, and that I can feel really good if they get it. And you know, and, and I've I've contributed one iota, uh, actually zero iotas, if we're being yeah. realistic, toward this being the actual outcome. I've contributed absolutely nothing toward it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Last week, a couple weeks ago, I felt okay. It's going to be number two. And we're going to have this annoying conversation about Scoot. Will will they or won't they for another month? Today. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling cocky and confident about Wemby. So <laughs> nice. I'm calling it. Punching it in. Victor Wembenyama, Detroit Piston. Sweet. Uh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that'll be it for this episode. Thank you again, Price, uh, for nope. guesting. Yep. No problem. Yeah. Always a pleasure to have you on here. So one week to the lottery, folks. Next episode will be on lottery night. Catch you then.